Hi and welcome to the St Saviour's Finsbury Park podcast. Our vision is to be a church alive in God's love to serve the city. And we hope this teaching helps you to know God and serve him more wherever you've been uniquely placed. Let's jump in. Um, for those who don't know me, my name's Anna, and I'm married to Matt, um, who's actually over leading kids. He's been there for the last few weeks, which is amazing. We're, um, we're actually recruiting for a new kids worker at the moment, so please do be praying for that. I absolutely love those testimonies. Thank you for everyone who came up and said something. Um, I feel so encouraged. I don't know about you. Um, the Hebrew root of the word testimony is do it again. We tell each other stories as a community because it, it raises expectation that God can do that again in our lives. If you've heard something about someone having breakthrough in their job or in a healing situation and you want that, you know, we tell these stories. We say, Lord, do it again in, in, in our life. Um, they're a way of, of kind of a rebellious act in a world where there are lots of stories being told uh, about kingdoms, power, and glory. There are lots of stories um, on Instagram about curated kingdoms, um, how we want our worlds to look. There are stories about power, um, often abuses of power that we read in the news. There are stories about celebrity and success. But what we have done this morning is tell stories about a different kingdom and a different power and a different glory. Um, and that is just really <laughs> exciting. Um, so if you haven't guessed, what I'm talking on this morning is the final uh, line in the Lord's Prayer, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. Um, as you might have noticed, it wasn't actually in our reading, so I will come back to why it wasn't in a moment. But I just wanted to start off by, by linking this idea of giving testimony to what God's doing to a life of prayer. Um, lots of people define prayer in different ways, but the, the, the definition that I love the most is this. Prayer is the life of Jesus coming alive in you. We don't pray to Jesus, we pray with Jesus. And as we pray, we find ourselves becoming aligned to him. And then we start, as a result of that, to see the fruit of his life in our life. Um, In John 5, um, I think that's coming up on the screen, he says this, that he he can only see what he sees the Father doing, because what the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son, and show him all he does. We started this series six weeks ago with the first line of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father. That's an invitation into a relationship with him. As we pray, pray, we're invited into this intimate relationship with him, just like Jesus, just like that that, that piece of scripture. And then we begin to see, as we're we're aligning ourselves with him, as we're in that relationship, as we become alive to him, we start seeing 
the things that he sees. We start doing the things that the Father does. Um, Matt, Matt spoke on, on the kingdom being, being like a place of rest. We enter into that intimacy and then release, and then, we, and then we get involved in the action of the kingdom in our world. It's not an obvious kingdom. It's often hidden in plain sight. It's all around us, but the world doesn't necessarily see it. There's a, there's a really famous quote, when I pray, coincidences happen. But when I stop praying, coincidences stop happening. When we pray, there's a power that starts enacting. And, and so we should expect to see things. We should expect to see the miraculous. Like I love that testimony of Harriet um, with this little boy in hospital and experience a degree of healing. But we should also see other things. We should see giving away. We should see generosity. We should see forgiveness. We should see reconciliation. This week, um, I was doing some errands. I was on the Seven Sisters Road with my youngest, who's three. She was a bit tired, and um, she's an absolute delight most of the time. But when she decides to let rip, she, she's quite tricky. <laughs> she's not very distractible, and she gets locked into a sort of tantrum that actually all you can do is sit and wait it out. So I'm on the middle of the Seven Sisters Road, and she's decided to do this thing. And I can't get her in the pram, and yet the floor is absolutely filthy with bird poo and cigarette butts. And it's just not very pleasant. And I'm getting quite stressed. I'm expecting someone back at the house in a few minutes. I have to pick something up, and it's just nightmare um, for all those who might have been there too. <laughs> you, know what I, you know what I feel. But um, at that moment, as I was sort of leaning down, trying to sort of comfort my daughter, someone came along and stood um, beside us, and I looked up, and they had this um, actually really large, stuffed lion, pristine condition from London Zoo, so really smart lion, which she gave to my daughter. <laughs> now, I'm not normally in the habit of taking things from strangers, don't worry, but this was actually someone that I knew I hadn't seen for a long time. And in fact, it was someone um, who he'd had a, a slightly fractious relationship with, um, quite painful, and it had ended with her sort of walking away. So there's this moment where she's giving this lion to my daughter, who's immediately pacified. Um, and then I, chatting with her, and she's sharing a bit of what's going on, and I was able to, in that moment, uh, pray for her and ask the Spirit to come. And why I say that is because prayer, there, there was an immediate need there that I had, and, 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 and God showed up through her, but there was also something deeper going on. The power of Christ was doing something mysterious in the way of reconciliation and of forgiveness and healing um, that was really beautiful. So when we have a life of prayer, we should expect to see the fruits of his kingdom at work. We should expect to see his power at work in our lives and in the lives of those around us. 
But prayer might not always feel like that. It can sometimes feel a little bit like hard work. But can I just encourage us all that it really matters and that let's press in and we'll grow over time. And I just wanted to put this quote up. It's, it's quite long, so apologies for that. But for me, it really captured this journey of prayer that we're going on. I'll, I'll, I'll read it out. Learning to pray is learning ordinary self-awareness, the common sense of the Christian life, recognizing when you're being selfish and stupid and acting instead with an increasing degree of generosity. You move on from that to the freedom to see God in the world around you. When you've got your ego and all its fussiness a little bit in its place, then actually your heart and your imagination expand until the whole of your life says, Our Father. I think through prayer, we learn not to think less of ourselves, but to think about ourselves a little bit less, a little bit more about Jesus. We're, we're, we're freed to start seeing things in a new way, to start seeing the kingdom at work. Until the point where our whole life becomes defined by this incredible relationship that we enter into when we enter into prayer with our Father. So this Lord's Prayer we've been learning, as the Archbishop says, it's, an, it's simple enough to be memorized by children, but it's profound enough to last us a lifetime of prayer. So let's pray because it brings us alive, and as we become alive, we begin to see and do the things of Jesus. So coming on to this specific line at the end of the the Lord's Prayer, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Now it isn't actually in the text, in either Matthew or Luke, Um, it's actually a footnote. But as theologians kind of agree, it would be inconceivable that the Lord's Prayer would kind of end on um, deliver us from evil. Um, That that This was a kind of established bit of ancient liturgy that was around in Jesus' day and so was was likely to have been said at at the conclusion of the prayer. It actually finds its origins in Chronicles 29 as a prayer that David prayed. And and I want to um, give you a little bit of context Um, to this prayer. It comes at a moment when David is transferring his power over to Solomon. This is extremely unusual, (laughs) that David was very much alive and kicking, but hands over power to his son. Um, There are very, very few other examples of a kind of transition of power uh, that happens before the, the king dies. Not only is David alive, he's at the absolute pinnacle of his success. Um, talk about kingdom, power, and glory. He's conquered vast territories. He's established peace. He's had command of mighty armies. And uh, he's known uh, for his great victories. He's, he's an incredible, incredibly successful leader. But what's even more striking is that he's at the very point of realizing a lifelong ambition. So when he became king, the Ark of the Covenant was kept in a tent 
And it was his aspiration to get to the point where he could build a permanent home, a temple. And he's finally done it. He's, he's got stability, he's got peace, he's got vast wealth, he's got resources, he's got even, it says in scripture, he's, he's even had the plans sort of downloaded to him. He knows exactly how he wants it to look. And this is the point where the Lord speaks to him and says, no, you're not going to build this temple. It's going to be your son. You've got too much blood on your hands. And it's right at this, this moment where he hands power over that he says this prayer. If we could have that, that up. And he says this, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Despite everything that David had achieved, he was actually still that shepherd boy who had a heart after the Lord's own heart. He desired the Lord more than his greatest ambition, than all of his wealth, than his vast kingdoms. I think it's just an incredible prayer at that moment to be saying, but Lord, it's all about you. And it just raises the question in us, whatever we feel called to, whatever we're pouring ourselves into, whatever we're pursuing or desiring, might it distract us from ultimately the joy that is found in the kingdom, in the power and the glory of the Lord. We can cling too tightly sometimes onto these things and miss the most important thing, what we were ultimately created and shaped to do, which is to glorify our Father, to have a heart after his own heart. What's really st striking about this prayer and the passages that surround it is they are unbelievably joyful. They're really abundant and generous. Just the language is, is, is so free. And yet, I think if you understand this, the undertone of it, that, that David in this moment is actually going through quite a painful moment of letting go, of, of sort of releasing this, this desire and this ambition. And, um, and I think it's quite easy to say, we get to this bit in the, of the Lord's Prayer, we're like, oh, we're at the end, okay? Uh, the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. But I think, actually, we need to pause a moment because it should cause us to deny ourselves a little bit. It should be a little bit painful. And I, um, I want to read just a, a tiny bit of this, this, this poem by someone called Malcolm Guy. He's actually read a sonnet, written a sonnet on every single line of the Lord's Prayer, if you're interested in that sort of thing. Um, but he's written about the kingdom, the power, and the glory. And this is, this is what he says. The kingdom and the power and the glory, the very things we all want for ourselves. We want to be the hero of the story and leave the others on their dusty shelves. And he goes on. 
What might it mean to let it go forever? To die to all that desperate desire? To give the glory wholly to another? To throw all we hold in that holy fire? And this is the line, a wrenching loss and then a sudden freedom in giving glories and a hidden kingdom. I think David must have felt that wrenching loss in that moment, but then that extraordinary freedom as he pointed everything back to Jesus. And when we say this line in the prayer, like are we experiencing that wrenching loss or we actually deny ourselves again, deny all those things that we long, you know, we long for, we aspire to, we put our heart, heart in and return to say, no, Jesus, it's your kingdom, it's your power, and it's your glory. And we live a life of freedom, unfettered from those things that can hold us back. So I just want to um, end um, as we head into Advent next week with a baby in a manger. The angels sing a hymn of praise over him. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace on whom his favour rests. At Jesus' birth, two kingdoms confront each other. Emperor Augustus, he is the head of the Roman Empire at the time. It is massively expanded. It's, it's, it's huge. He's, he's been in power for a quarter of a century and managed to establish stability. He's a man of absolute power, glorified by his subjects across the realm to the point where they actually think that he is divine. At the click of his fingers, he can make... Uh, People make hazardous journeys to go and register themselves as part of the census, or he can crucify rebel kings. But with the birth of Jesus, this baby is going to redefine what kingdom, what power, and what glory looks like. It says in John's Gospel that God's glory became flesh and dwelt among us. And we see through the life of Jesus that he, that he ushers in this upside-down kingdom. You only have to look through the Gospels to see stories of lives transformed, of people healed, forgiven, come alive. But it's a different sort of power. It's not a, a victorious king coming riding in on a horse. Jesus comes riding a donkey. He weeps over the city. He weeps over people who haven't recognized him, who hasn't seen the kingdom that is hidden in plain sight. And ultimately, it's a power that takes him to, to, to death on a cross. But through his resurrection, his kingdom is established forever. So when we say this final line, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, we're being invited into this kingdom that he's established on earth. That we can be part of it, that we can wholeheartedly give ourselves like David did to praising him. We're invited into the song, this angelic song. Glory to God in the highest. 
Can we stand? Let's just take a moment. Maybe there are things that we've clung onto a little bit too tightly. That when we get to that line, for yours is the kingdom, maybe there are things that we've made a little bit our focus more than, more than him. Heavenly Father, we just invite you right now. Would you show us where we've pursued things or got them in the wrong order? Jesus, would you, would you become Lord over our lives again? Would you lift our eyes? where we started our prayer saying, Our Father, would we end this prayer gazing back at you, giving you the glory. Amen.